your host, Dominique, licensed professional counselor and certified clinical trauma professional and owner of Free to Be Counseling Service and Deveron, licensed social worker and certified life coach and owner of Social MacGyver. The thought-provoking podcast that explores the complexity of mental health through a lens that does not require a prescription. We will explore a wide range of topics with engaging discussions and personal anecdotes that provides a realistic outlook while actively engaging in our own self-discovery. Let's get ready to soar together. Okay. So I'm going to ask the next question. Okay. All right. So have you experienced a moment where an open and honest conversation with your parent or caregiver led to a breakthrough in your relationship? And what did you learn from it? So I couldn't really come up with a particular story, but I think in general, just feeling confident and in, in having a different opinion um, uh, than them um, or, or just just feeling the space to do that. Um, and I say that because and I kind of alluded to this um, earlier in, in some of our conversation, but. I think I was always encouraged to speak my mind and always encouraged to be vocal, um, just not with them. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I think it sends mixed messages, right? Um, I think I think the challenge for me um, is in spite of, like trying to unlearn that, right? trying to unlearn um, that there should be space for me to disagree um, or have a different perspective than you and not feel um, not feel like I'm going to be punished for it. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that it happens now as an adult, but as a kid, like I mentioned earlier, my mom was very open. You could talk to her about anything, um, but you could not necessarily tell her how you felt like you've been aggrieved by her or how she mm-hmm. maybe did something that you didn't like. Um, or maybe she spoke to you in a certain way. Um, and again, I do think that parents come to this role um, with with what they have. And you couldn't do that with my grandma. Like, please. <laughs> like, even as an adult, when my mom, you know, my mom has t- told stories about how she has wanted to say things to my my grandmother, but couldn't, you know, and I don't know if she couldn't because she was afraid or because that's just not what you did with those parents back then, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that's, that's, it sends mixed messages. Um, and so there was moments, there were moments when I was a kid where I had wanted to say things, wanted to express certain frustrations, um, or just share my thoughts about, you know, that I feel differently than you or that I didn't necessarily appreciate the way you said that to me, or I didn't like being called that name, right? Like those are just things that I, I didn't have the space to do. And I don't, I'm not special. I know that most, most of my friends and most kids in my generation, just, they didn't. Um, and so I think um I, I think that ultimately though that is 
that is, you know, that's the, that was the challenge, you know? And so, but with my dad, I'm not sure, um, I'm not sure that, that, that we've ever had that. Um, I think, I think, and I kind of alluded to this earlier too, that there have been moments where I have decided that being honest about my feelings with him were not, it wasn't, it was more important to preserve their relationship, you know, because of my fear. And I don't think I knew in those particular moments that I was afraid of losing the relationship. Mm-hmm. But I think when I think back, um, there were moments where, you know, preserving their relationship was more advantageous. You know, it was, it was more, it was more necessary to preserve the relationship, uh, versus being honest about my feelings. Um, I think, I, I think though I've gotten to a place in my life where like being honest and being authentic, um, is more important than preserving a relationship because if, if what I've learned is that if you are prioritizing preserving a relationship over the things necessary to pres- to preserve a, a real relationship, because otherwise it's just, it's, it's, it's a false relationship. It's not a real relationship. Yeah. If you are, if you are preserving, you know, the relationship over honesty and authenticity and vulnerability, then you don't really, you're, you're not saving anything. And I don't think I knew that before, mm-hmm. you know, and most recently we did, we, like I said, we, we probably had the most honest conversation we've ever had. And there were things about him that he got to share, you know, things that I got to share. And there were moments in that conversation where some of, you know, some of his generational ideas about being a parent, you know, kind of rooted its ugly head. And I, I had to push back a little bit because, you know, again, if we're going to be in a relationship, it need there needs to be some level of respect that like my feelings and my, my thoughts are going to be just going to be respected, you know? And, and, you know, cause, cause what I often remember as being a kid was like, your feelings, your thoughts, what you believe doesn't really matter. You know what I mean? And I don't know if, I don't know if that was intentional. Like I intentionally don't want you to, because what people don't get is that you, what you're doing is you are creating a world where when they leave your house, they're going to feel the same way. They're going to feel like their thoughts, beliefs, and feelings don't matter. You know? So you, you all want to create this assertive, outspoken person, but you're, you're, you're squelching it. By not allowing that same opportunity to happen in your relationship with them. And I understand that there's a lot of ego that has to be pushed aside to do that, you know, like, and, and, and that takes, that takes a lot of, a lot of courage and a lot of bravery, because I know that there's going to be other parents in my mom's generation who's like, I ain't doing that. Like I'm the parent. I don't care if they 45, I'm still the parent. You know what I mean? Like, you know, and so. I will say that just just feeling like safe as an adult now to say, look, I don't care that you're not going to like it. I have to, I, if I don't agree with what you're saying, if I don't feel like I can agree with that, I'm going to say it, you know, and I'm, and I'm going to always make sure that I say it with respect and with care, 
because I'm not trying to be disrespectful because that's the other thing. Having a different opinion often made parents feel like you're disrespecting me. Yeah. And it's like, no, dude, I'm just think I just think differently than you. Like, yeah, yeah, like it. And what, and what I have learned is like part of the struggles that I have sometimes now in my conversations with people is that I sometimes, because that mentality was so rooted in my upbringing that like, I sometimes, sometimes struggle that like, it's okay for people to have a different opinion than you. Like it's not the end of the world and it doesn't mean anything. It just means that they have a different opinion. You know, but so much of my childhood and not even just for my mom, just us, the other adults in my life, you know, it was like, you, you just, you kept that to yourself. You didn't, yeah. you didn't express that to people, mm-hmm. um, you know? And so I think for me, just, just feeling safe enough to do that and just feeling like the confidence to do it, right. Whether or not, like, I'm not, I'm not as concerned about um, how I'm going to be treated by them if I feel differently. I just, you know, at the end of the day, I'm entitled to feel differently than you. You know, I don't have to, you know, dumb that down to like show you that I respect you. If you think I, I'm disrespecting you because I don't think like you, that's a you problem. That's not a me problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think just feeling that safety and security within myself to do that has been has I think has been the example because there's, there's not one example where that happened. It's just, I never felt safe to do that before when I was like a kid, you know? So just growing in that way and being, feeling safe to do that, you know, and doing it like again with, with care, with, with respect, with, with a level of um, context. Like I, I think that that's, that's, I don't have a problem doing it in that way because I, I am truly not trying to be disrespectful. So like I can do whatever I need to do to make sure that you don't feel that way. But if that means I can't speak, then I don't think I can't do that. You know what I mean? But you know, I can definitely, you know, consider your feelings and consider how I say this to you. Um, because I don't want you to think I'm being disrespectful because I'm, I'm not trying to be, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think, I think that for me has been, has been the example. What about you? I think for me, I think with my mom, one of the things that I definitely did different than she did was my mom was a big person who believed in family. And Mm -hmm. my mom believed like, you know, oh, this person is your family member. You don't turn your back on them. Like family is family. And I'm someone who just does not agree with that. I don't believe mm-hmm. in that. Um, and even with my mom and all of her abuse, you know, for for example, um, and I I tell my mother's story with kind of like safety because she's not she's no longer here to tell her own story. But I I have to be honest, you know, and so. And part of that is that my mother's father was very physically abusive to her mother. And um, that impacted my mom significantly, um, very, very significantly um, to the point of, you know, her having physical reactions to the abuse to when she was like 12, um, you know, and, and just living in fear. and. 
the thing about that aspect was one of the things of my mother seeing, you know, my grandmother was in multiple abusive relationships um, that my mother witnessed. And my mother made a strong, you know, call that she would never date a Hispanic man because of what she had experienced in, in others dating Hispanic men and feeling like, mm-hmm. you know, it was very macho and abusive. And however, my mom got herself into abusive relationships. And um, so although she had thought she had put in safeguards, her safeguards were not as safe as she thought they were. And um, a part of that physical and emotional and sexual abuse was that she felt like she put safeguards in place for me and my sisters. And those safeguards were not really as safe as she thought they were. But one of the things that we very much disagreed with was that family is family. And even though my mom had seen these different abuses and had experienced it, she was someone who, oh, this person is, you know, this is family. And my grandmother did it. She did it. And I draw on a line with that. If you, so my mother and my father were in an abusive relationship. Uh, my father is very honest about it. He doesn't look at it as physical abuse. Um, the way he tells his story about the interaction is is very different than what I have been known to have experienced. Um, but I have a relationship with my father. Um, and we he definitely knows I don't condone violence at all. Um, and I am very triggered by any type of abuse, whether it be verbal abuse, physical abuse, um, emotional abuse. I am very triggered if a man threatens me in any manner. I am very reactive to that. And that is something because of my prior experiences of witnessing abuse. Um, Mm -hmm. And I never physically, I don't recall, I should say, I don't recall my mother and my father physically, you know, getting in an abusive interaction. I was much younger when they were actually together um, and had those moments. But I do remember my mom telling me stories about it. I remember my grandmother telling me stories about it. My aunt telling me stories about it. My father's mother telling me stories about it and my stepmother. And we also had prior experience of living in a domestic violence shelter twice. And so mm-hmm. I also experienced seeing other women being physically abused. And I think I might have told you about one of the situations where physically seeing my mother's friend, um, her boyfriend she had escaped from, followed us. We did not know this. It was like a nighttime mm-hmm. and it was snowing outside stopped at a red light and he punched the window and dragged her from the car. My mom jumped out to go and rescue her and the car was never put in park. And so the car was going and, um, thankfully a stranger jumped in and stopped the car, but me and my siblings and her children were in the car. Um, and I just remember having to drive back at night 
in the wintertime with that busted out window. And I can't even remember if my mom was successful in getting her back. I think not at that, that nighttime interaction, but all of those experiences has worked me into if a man even like verbally is, you know, raising his voice, says something crazy, I am on go mode. Like that is just a trigger for me. Um, and so that's a trigger for me. Sexual assault is a trigger for me. Um, and so, you know, family members, if I feel like anything is off or I feel like you are being a little too friendly, trigger for me. Um, and so one of the things that I do is like, I, you know, my, my mother's father is much older now and English is not his first language. Um, so we don't really interact too much, but my mom forgave her father. She loved her father. There was nothing that she couldn't, he could do. Um, my aunt loves her father. She takes, you know, interacts with him. He still, you know, acts about me and things like that. Um, but because of that experience, I'm really not, don't really care too much for him. Um, again, knowing that people are imperfect or whatever, but knowing what that interaction had caused my grandmother and my mother and knowing that that interaction presented itself in my childhood because of all the things that my mom endured. Um, yeah. There's a lot of, I don't want to say lack of forgiveness, but there's a lot of um, where I just don't care. Indifferent. Like indifferent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, which is different from my father. Um, the same thing with other family members who have physically, you know, sexually assaulted other family members. I just, I will say hello, but that's as much as I go. Like we just, we have nothing to say to each other. I will never be alone with you. You will never be alone with my kiddos. Like it is what it is. Um, and that's very different from my mom. My mom was a very forgiving person and, you know, she was always this person is family. Like, this is all you have. I don't believe in that. Like, I don't, mm -mm. I am very firm in that. If you are not serving me and this relationship is not serving me and it is hurting me in some manner, whether it is physically, emotionally, um, we don't have anything to interact with. Like we, we can say, I'll be respectful and say my, my hello. Um, I won't cuss you out. I'm not going to be disrespectful, but that's as far as it goes. I don't wish you ill will. I don't wish harm on you. I, you're just not a part of my life. And I just choose to live that way. Um, if you want to interact with them, that's fine. That's just not my cup of tea. And that is something that I am firm with. And I am not, no one can move that. Um, if we have family reunions and this person is around, again, I will say my hellos, but that's my limitations. Um, I just choose to not do that. And a part of that is because I've had family members and I've had interactions where they felt like their experience was ignored or not validate it because that person was still allowed to be around and they were forced to interact with that person. And I am so against that. I am Absolutely. against it. 
And I also feel like it puts that person in a situation where they don't feel validated in their experience and it reduces or safe. <laughs> exactly. And also makes it seem like what they experienced was not that big of a deal. And I just like, like it wasn't a like it wasn't a bad thing. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't. Or that, you know what, you need to get over it. And I'm just not mm. I don't yeah. believe in that at all. I don't. Now, if you decide that you experience something and you want to forgive and forget or whatever, you can lead that. That is your own journey, whatever. Um, that's just not how I live. That's just not yeah. what I, you know, my idea. And so me and my mom, when she was around, we would constantly get into that. Of, this person did this to you. And, you know, they have constantly shown you who they were and you are constantly giving them the benefit of doubt and they don't deserve it. Um, and she used to get mad at me all the time. Like, why are you so like unforgiving? I'm like, it's not that I'm not unforgiving. I have forgiven them. I just have now chose to move differently. Like they're not living constantly in my head of, you know, this person did this and I'm wishing them ill will. Forgiveness does not mean that we now have to interact. That's not right. what forgiveness means to me. Forgiveness means that I have moved on past that experience and now I am choosing to how we interact. I wish you no ill will. I'm not, it's not living in my head daily. Um, I hardly think about it, but I just choose to just move differently. Like I, I've, I've seen this, I don't like it and, and I'm moving forward. That's what forgiveness looks for me. Um, and so like that is something that me and my mom were very different on. And I made it known of how I felt um, about certain family members and how I choose to move forward. And I think that at the end of the day, she had to respect it. She didn't agree with it. Um, and again, I used to tell her like, she'd be like, you know, this happened to me. So like, why can't you? And I'm like, I just don't operate that way. If I know someone hurt my loved one, um, I just can't operate in that manner of like, you show me fully who you were. And like, I do think that people can grow and, you know, heal and all of those different things. But like, that's just not, maybe our path is just not aligned anymore. And that's fine. Like, I'm okay with that. Like you still exist in the world. I know you still exist in the world. Mm -hmm. We don't align and, and that's fine. Um, so yeah, my mom and my grandmother were big believers of family is family. You only get one family, you know, even if they do you wrong, like that's family. I don't agree to that. I don't believe in that. Family does you wrong. You put up safe boundaries and you keep it moving. Like you, you have to, at the end of the day, have to protect yourself and you have to figure out what you're willing to accept. Um, and if we can't pay, put safe boundaries for family, how can we do that with strangers? You know? But see, that's the thing. That's the thing that I think sometimes the older generation got wrong. And I don't think, obviously, I don't think their intentions were to get that wrong. But so much of what I believe parenting is, is like if you want to create self-sufficient, assertive, opinionated, um, you know, adults, you do that in childhood, you know. And if you don't foster that kind of environment in the safe, in the safest place for your kid, right, their first mm -hmm. sense of safety is with you. And if you don't 
create that environment, you are not going to create kids who can go out into the world as adults and do that. And so I think, I think, um, and I, and to be fair, I think they were never taught that that was okay. It's okay to put boundaries around people who make you feel unsafe, who not only make you feel unsafe, but have behaved in ways that are unsafe. Like there's nothing wrong with that. And similar to you, I'm like that with my mom. Like it's been a few people who I feel like have done some things that I don't necessarily mess with. And I think sometimes, I think sometimes people think that forgiveness means reconciliation and it doesn't. It does not. Forgiveness. I saw somebody tweet that once or I saw a meme that said, forgiveness does not mean reconciliation. I'm like, that is so true because oftentimes when you do not reconcile with that person, you're told that you are still holding hate in your heart and you, and it's like, dude, no, No. I'm not. I don't fuck with you no more though. It's like, it's in my head. Like, I no. know the person is existing. I'm fine with that. I don't right. care. Like I just I don't choose to engage, and exactly. I don't have to. And it doesn't mean I'm still mad. I'm not mad. I'm actually happy. Exactly. Like you, you're in the world, and it does not bother. I don't think about you. Like let's put it that way. I do not think about you at all, at all, and I'm fine with that. But I also think like if I don't teach myself to honor how I feel, then I'm not going to allow others to honor how I feel in our interactions. Like I Mm -hmm. have to be honest with myself and I have to be able to say, look, this doesn't feel good to me. Like it's not serving me the way that it needs to. So I need to make a change. I need to implement boundaries. I need to create space to feel safe because my safety is the most important. Like I, yeah. I have to be able to operate in a place that I feel safe, physically, mentally, and emotionally. And if I don't feel safe, I'm not being able to fully be myself. And then I'm feeling like I have to wear masks, which again takes me back to child Deveron, who really wasn't safe in situations that were not serving. And I felt like I couldn't speak up. And now I know that I can. Like, I know Mm -hmm. that my voice matters. And at the end of the day, I need to implement boundaries for myself. And those who truly care and want to have a beneficial interaction, a beneficial relationship, they will honor those boundaries. Those who just want a one-side relationship will not. And that lets me know where I stand with them. And then it's up to me to then decide how I want to move forward. Like I had that power as a kid. I did not have that power to say, this is not serving me. This is harmful to me. And I need to implement these things. Right. And the number one relationship that taught me that was my interaction with my mother. Right. Mm -hmm. There was so many things in that relationship that wasn't serving me, but because she was my main caregiver, she was my mother. I was taught that, you know, you need to forgive. She's your mother. You know, my grandma used to tell me that all the time. You know, there was nothing that my mom could do that would stop my grandmother from loving her, interacting with her. And Mm -hmm. My mom did some very harmful things. You know, my mom, when she was active in her addiction, she stole, you know, from my grandmother. Mm -hmm. My mom, when she was active in her addiction, she stole from us, you know? Yeah. 
you know, she, again, put us in unsafe situations, um, you know, and when my mom was sober and I would talk to her about these things, you know, like I said, before she passed, we had went to therapy and I was very open and honest about my experiences. And, you know, she was very sorry about it. But it's like I was taught at a very young age that my feelings did not matter. Yep. You know, um, even though I was told, you know, oh, you know, your mom is when my mom went to jail, you know, you could feel this way, but she's your mom. It's one of the things that I am very clear with these kids about. You feel how you feel. Yep. If you don't want to interact with someone, let me know. If you don't feel like you have a voice to say it, I will say it. If you don't feel like you have the ability to put safeguards in place, let me know. I'll be the bad guy. I will put that in place because mm-hmm. the last thing I want them to do is to feel like they are invisible. Their feelings don't matter because then that teaches them when they become older that their feelings don't matter. And yep. I literally just told my niece this the other day. You have to get to a place where you start putting Carmen first. You have to put Carmen first and then everyone else comes secondary. When you honor your feelings, that's the best thing you can do for yourself. And then you can line people up and allow them to move accountably, right? But until you say, my feelings matter, you're going to put everyone's feelings before yourself. And then what's going to happen is before you know, you've minimized yourself so small that now you don't feel like you are serving yourself because everyone else has come before you. All of their needs are before you. I saw it with my mom, you know? She became such a shell of a person because she felt like that's all that she deserved. And I refuse to be like that. And sometimes, you know, it rubs people the wrong way. I don't care. Like, if we really are having an interaction and you care about this relationship, we can have dialogue and we can make adjustments and things like that. I'm definitely all for hearing people in my life and and moving accordingly. But if you don't care to have a conversation with me, because you feel like I'm moving a certain way, guess what? It don't matter. Because right. if, if you don't feel like you can have a conversation with me, this relationship is not a relationship. So mm-hmm. you feel in a certain way, if you want to go, you know, oh, Devron's this, Devron's that. You didn't have dialogue with me about how you feel I'm moving. It doesn't matter. It doesn't right. matter because you were stuck on seeing me that way anyway. So mm-hmm. believe me. Yeah. I mean, I I have no control over how you see me. That's 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 for you to figure out. Like I I'm not even going to act like I can change that. I'm not I I don't got them kind of powers. You know yeah. what I mean? You going to feel I how you feel. Reader. Like right. if you tell me Dom, hey, look, when we had this interaction, I felt this type of way. We have a relationship. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, I'm so sorry. I didn't intend that. A lot, a lot of times it's, you know, like you said our own shit. Oh, mm-hmm. well, that wasn't even what I was trying to come across with. But we're having dialogue. Now we can fix that and repair it. But if you right. choose to see me in a certain light and you don't let me know how you're seeing me. Then what can I do about it anyway? Yeah. I can't do nothing about that. Yeah. If I was a mind reader, I'd be over here paid. Right. <laughs> I can't, you know? For real. I'd be winning a lot on stuff. Like right. making it work for me. But I can't. So I, I'm a firm believer of if something is not serving you, family or not, I have to honor my feelings. 
and honor them to the point where I seek it out and make it Mm -hmm. be known. And then we can make adjustments. But if it's not serving me and I let you know it's not serving me and you choose to continue to uh, do the things that I'm telling you are problematic, then I only thing I have in my control is how I choose to then move forward. So absolutely. Yep. I have to make adjustments. And I think that that's something that I was very clear with my mom. She did not agree. And I'm, you know, very clear. Same rule of thumb. My grandfather felt the same way that my mom did. My grandmother did too. Family is family. And I would tell them like, nope, this is my boundary. This is my strict boundary. You may not agree with it. You may not like it, but you will respect it. Mm-hmm. We want to have an interaction. We'll respect each other and we can agree to disagree and keep it moving. And mm-hmm. that's something that I have instilled in these children. Uh, I don't care if someone is your family or not. If they are not treating you the way that you are asking to be treated. You need to put in boundaries. You need to put in safeguards. Yeah. I think the other piece of that, too, is like... um I don't ever want to be perceived as the worst thing I've ever done, right? So I'm not going to perceive you as the worst thing that you've ever done. And I'm not going to be your guinea pig to make sure that you ain't going to do it again. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I respect that you may have changed and you may be a different person. And I hope that you're a different person. And you're not going to get the, you're not going to get the, you know, figure that out on me or mine. It's not an experiment, rat. Like no, and I think, and I think that that is okay because while I don't want to be perceived as the worst thing that I've ever done, I do understand that in life there are natural consequences to your choices. Mm -hmm. So if I have done something that has been harmful to somebody else, that natural consequence might be that I'm not going to be able to have a relationship with that person. I'm not going to be able to navigate their energy and their environment the way I did before, and that happens when you make choices that are harmful to other people. So I think that that also needs to be said, right? I don't, you're, you're not, I don't want to be perceived as the worst thing I've ever done. I'm also going to make, I'm also going to understand that like my, my choices have consequences. And sometimes that might mean that the space that I was able to occupy before, I'm not going to be able to occupy it that way before as I, as I did before. Exactly. And I I think that that's important is that you can grow, you can change. But if I don't choose to have you be a part of my life, that's fine. Like you can grow and change with the new people that's in your life. Like that's fine. You can also choose to try to make amends, but it's, it's not for the other person to be accepting of your making amends. Like that's not their um, role. That's not something that they should be held to, right? Um, if we do something that is unspeakable or hurt someone else, we can definitely try to make amends and that's our own journey. But it's their own journey of whether they want to choose to accept it or choose to accept it and have you back into their life. Yep. That's their, like, we need to give people the ability to make decisions for themselves and and know what's serving for them, right? Again, I can accept your apology. I can accept, you know, that you have made amends. I can choose to also in accepting that of saying like, and I don't want you back in my life. Like right. that is completely fine. Um, I think that it's important for people who have been victim to some type of experience to have that ability to say yes or no, right? Especially mm-hmm. in times where previously our nose 
were not heard and yeah. not respected, right? Okay. I think that anyone who has experienced some type of abuse, physically, mentally, emotionally, it's very important for our nose to be respected. And even if this person violated that no, we then have to set some type of firm boundary where our no's are respected, right? Yep. Um, does not mean that we are holding on to this experience and we're not forgiving and we're, you know, staying in this place of being stuck. That's not true. It means that I have figured out how to heal from that experience and I'm moving forward. And I have chosen to have my no respected of, I don't want to know you in this contents anymore. Like, I don't want to know you. I don't care to know you. Mm -hmm. I don't wish you any ill will. I just choose to have my no respected. And I'm making sure that my no respected. I'm Mm -hmm. not giving you the opportunity to disrespect that no again. And I feel like that's the biggest aspect that I've learned from my mother is her no's were not respected. And she, I don't want to say she was okay with it not being respected because it showed that she wasn't, but she didn't put healthy boundaries in her life because she was so used to people not respecting her boundaries that yep. I feel like she really was like, there's no reason to even put that there because it's just going to get walked over where I'm mm-hmm. a firm believer of this is my boundary. You will not cross that boundary. If you cross that boundary, be prepared for the consequences. Clear as day. I told you there's (laughs) signs all around my yard. Beware of the dog. Beware of the things that could happen if you cross this line. You Mm -hmm. cross that line. Be prepared for the consequences. And then don't act like surprise. Like, the signs was there. The writing was on the wall. You just didn't want to read it. Beware of dogs. You (laughs) walked your behind in that yard and got bit. Don't be over there like, oh my God, I got bit. It's clearly said six times. Beware of dog. You got bit. There was a dog. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Don't like, you know. So I, I think that is the most important thing that I learned from, well, one of the most important things that I learned from my mom is mm-hmm. the lack of a boundaries, the lack of her no being respected was to making sure that my no is respected and I'm very firm in my, my boundaries. And, and so that's how I choose to move forward. Okay. <laughs> so question five, I think I kind of answered already, but I don't know. Is there anything you want to ask? So here's a question. Have you experienced a moment where an open and honest conversation with your parent or caregiver led to a breakthrough in your relationship? And what did you learn from it? So I think I talked about this a little bit during our last podcast, and that was talking to my mom about my own experience. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom had her own ideas of what our childhood was like. And I have two siblings. I have an older and a younger. And we all had our own experiences, our own individual relationship with our mother. And my mother knew that her decisions, you know, when she was actively in her addiction were not the best. Um, And so she had these notions of what that was like. But one of the things that really impacted our relationship for a long time was that she never quite asked me what my experience was like. She always just had this perception of that. 
And anytime I would try and talk to her about my actual experience, not what she perceived to be my experience, she would quickly shut it down. And it wasn't until we got into therapy that I was able to let her know that um, she felt like she had talked to me over and over again about my experience. And I finally was able to say like, no, every time we have this discussion where I try to share a little bit, you automatically shut me down and say like, you know, you're sorry. And like, basically there's nothing more that she could have done. And it wasn't until we explored that a little bit more, you know, our therapist asked her like why it was that way. And she was like, because she felt like there was nothing she could do to change it, right? To change that interaction. And she knew like what I thought of her. She knew about the experiences. And I'm like, you don't even know. Like you are going off of your own perception. Like you don't mm-hmm. know what my experience is like because you won't allow me space to tell it. Like, right. you know, and yeah. some of the things she thought were a lot worse weren't. And then some of the things she thought weren't that bad were. So I'm like, you know, when you were actively in your addiction there, you don't know, like you're not in your right head. So you don't know the things that has happened. Right. And you don't know how you used to talk to us. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I remember one time my mom told me like, we were the reason she got high, like as a kid, you know, mm. and what does that do to you? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. and I remember she said that and then she was gone for like a week. Like, you know, so it was like, in my head while she was gone, me and my sisters were thinking like, damn, we caused this. Like, mm. you know like we caused this, yeah. not only this time, but we caused all these other times. Like, this is because of us, because we don't know how to act right, because we are arguing like kids do. You know, if we were better kids, my mom wouldn't be gone. My mom wouldn't mm. be doing the things that she's doing. And how heavy is that? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. really sit with that and think like, your mom is making these bad decisions that's impacting your life so significantly. And it's because of you, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. And my mom didn't realize that she told us that because again, she was, actually, she was high. Yeah. Yeah. Like right. she, she didn't you know. know. She didn't realize. Um, yeah. There was other things, you know, like there was just so many things that I talked to my mom about in therapy that she didn't, realize exactly what it did to me and I only spoke from my own experience because I couldn't speak for my siblings experience because I feel like that would have robbed them like you said like we could all have the same you know experience but be impacted differently right um and so I think having that space of being able to tell my mom exactly what her addiction I don't want to say caused me but her addiction how it impacted my life um, you know, definitely was important. And one of the things I told my mom was like, you know, I don't even know if I shared this before, but like I started drinking with my mom, right? Like, you know, and it wasn't where I was drinking heavily with her. It was like drinking coolers. I don't know if people <laughs> even know what that is, but like there's not a lot of alcohol <laughs> in it. But um I started drinking coolers with my mom, playing like this game. It was like you would put like a shot glass in the middle of the table and you would like shoot a quarter or a coin. And if you got it in, then you would um, not take a drink. Everybody else, you would take a sip. And I went from drinking with my mom to drinking with my friends and, you know, and 
not knowing my limitations. And that put me in bad situations. That put me in situations mm-hmm. where led me to be sexually assaulted, you know, mm-hmm. led me to, yeah. you know, have my safety, you know, jeopardized. And, you know, drinking to fill a void, drinking to feel numb. Um, then my mom getting mad at me because I was drinking and I'm like, you opened me up to drinking, like, mm-hmm. and her being in denial for that, right? You know, and also me feeling like I wore a badge about drinking, like, you know, I used to drink whatever, you know, obviously I was a teenager, so mm-hmm. whatever you put your hands on, but like, safety was an issue for me, and then I was putting myself in unsafe situations while drinking, you know, right? Yeah. Um, And then also, you know, when things happened, blaming myself for putting myself in that situation. So again, mirroring my mom's own trauma to now thinking I was so much better than my mom for not having the same experiences and then landing in similar experiences, right? Right. Um, So it, it was one of those things where I was able to talk to her about what her addiction had kind of opened the door for. And allowing her to listen to my actual experience and not her perception of the experience um, was really important. And I think anyone who has a parent who struggled with addiction, um, you don't always feel heard, especially because sometimes we we decrease that actual experience because we don't want to be the people who cause them to relapse. We don't want to make it hard mm-hmm. for them, especially because we know, you know, once you start using a lot of times the decisions that you make while you're actively in your addiction, you are building onto it because you're trying to escape, you know, the reality. And so, you know, I taught myself for a long time and I'm sure someone else listening probably has experienced the same thing of I have to reduce my experiences with my mom and her addiction because I don't want to be the one that shares that and that leads her to be even more guilt-ridden and more um, shameful. And so I'm going to minimize my experience to keep her safe, right? Um, And what does that teach me? That my feelings are not valid. Like, Mm -hmm. my feelings don't matter. Um, And so, you know, you... You shut yourself down, you know, yeah. you don't, don't acknowledge what has happened to you out of fear that it is going to jeopardize this other person that you love and care about. Um, yeah. So I will say like in therapy before she passed, I was able to be completely honest and vulnerable with her and share what her addiction, the impact that it had on me, um, but also the impact that it had to how I identified my own experiences and my own poor decision-making and the the consequences of that. And so, you know, I I think that that was the most honest and raw conversation that we had was her truly listening to me and my experience and not trying to fill in the blanks or feel like she knew exactly what had happened. Cause that was oftentimes what it was met with. Like, Oh, well, I know I could have been a better mom. It's like, yeah, you know that, but like, do you know what that looked like for me? Like, right. You're taking that away from me. Like you're taking mm-hmm. away the opportunity to fully be heard. Um, 
So yeah, that that was definitely something that we were able to accomplish and and I was able to clearly tell her what her addiction had kind of I don't want to say cause but how it impacted my life and yeah. you know what the outcome was and and the work that I had to do to overcome those things was very mm-hmm. important for her to know yeah. because I wanted her to know like Yes, it impacted me, but it didn't break me. And like, mm. yes, you you know that it impacted me, but you also think that I'm a broken person and I'm not. Like, I'm a damn healed person because I've done the work. And like, yes, it had an impact on me, but I'm not walking around like a chipped up vase. Like, mm-hmm. I put myself together very well. And I want you to see me fully. I don't want you to see me as a victim. I don't want anyone to ever see me as a victim. I'm a survivor and I, I want that to be known. And anytime someone sees me as a victim, it triggers me because I want them to know like, yes, I've been through some stuff, but you will never know. You can never tell that I've been through something. And that's very clear. Don't ever look at me like a victim. And that's something that I wanted my mom. And I think an issue we had for a long time was that she looked at herself as a victim and she looked at me and my siblings as victims. And I'm very adamant that I'm no one's victim. Mm-hmm. No, never that. And I'm not saying that someone identifies as a victim, you know, you, that's your journey. That's what you, but the way I choose to look at it is I'm a survivor of yeah. these experiences and they, you know, I choose to look at what they've given me. Um, and how I choose to move forward in life. And and that was mm-hmm. something that was very big for my mother to not to see me as this broken vase, but someone who right. was well put together and healed and, and operating. Yes, I've been through this, but I'm still like moving forward. Right, right. So the last question is, what's a tradition or practice from your family that you want to carry forward and how has it influenced your personal growth? Do you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. Um, I would say honest and open conversations. Um, if anyone knows my family, uh, my uh, <laughs> immediate family, my mom and my siblings, we are very open, almost probably too open. Like, <laughs> I think, I think for people who don't have that experience uh, with their parents and their siblings. Um, it could even kind of maybe be a little weird and off-putting. Cause I mean, I think that we are, um, I mean, I love it because I think, um, that's again, one thing that I got from my mom is being honest, um, and being open. Um, but I think sometimes what I also notice is that we may struggle with the boundaries thing, right? And we, we may struggle with like, what's too much to share, right? Like, you might be going a little too far with the, <laughs> with, with the openness, right? Um, and so, <laughs> um, I think what I what I've learned about that though is just the importance of if you don't if there's no one else in the world who you could be honest with, you could be honest with your siblings and your mom, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I guess the way I would like to take that further is, you know when my son feels some displeasure with me or feels um, dissatisfied with something that I've done, that he has the space or feels that he has the space to share that. Because I think if, if, if 
anything around honest and openness was missing from my upbringing was that, that I wasn't necessarily able to say, I didn't like that. I didn't like the way you said that, or I didn't appreciate the way that made me feel, or can you say this differently next time? Or, you know, like I didn't, I didn't get that. And again, I don't feel like I'm not an anomaly. I know that most, most people in my generation didn't get that. Um, however, I think it is something that I needed. And the reason why I want to take that a step further in my own experience with being a parent is the more and more I engage in this thing called parenting, what I most recognize is the only way, because most parents want the world for their kids, right? They want them to be these, you know, self-sufficient, assertive, opinionated, smart, like they want all these things for their kids. And I think what they don't recognize is that if you are not creating an environment for your kids to learn how to do that in your presence, they will not grow up and 18 just magically know how to do all this shit. It's just yeah. not going to, it just, it doesn't happen that way. And so what I think it requires is for parents to put that ego aside, you know, put this idea that you're the parent and I'm the parent and you're the kid. Right. I do understand that. Like if I'm asking a 14, if we're in a boat, and it's me and a 14-year-old. We're not going to let the 14-year-old drive the ship. I get that. <laughs> right? Because there's a lot of things that kids cannot foresee. Right? Mm-hmm. And there's things that parents and adults can foresee. So I I understand that. I also think that we do our children a disservice by not believing that they are fully capable of expressing their wants and their needs and their feelings. Mm-hmm. And we should not be prepared to write that off because they're a kid. I'm just not a fan of that because I, I remember what it felt like for my feelings to be dismissed and invalidated. And again, I, I have grace for what my mother went through and what she was going through when she was trying to get me from point A to point B. I, I, have no ill feelings about that at this point. But if I'm being honest, I do feel like not having space to have my feelings honored, it makes you question your feelings. Like if someone is telling you like they don't care or like even if they don't say it, but their actions are showing that they have other things to manage and deal with. And like your little feelings are on like the list at the bottom you know, you internalize that and you go through life thinking that, you know, other people's feelings matter more than yours or your feelings don't matter at all. Like, you know, and so I think that going through this process of being a parent, and again, I understand that this stage is going to be very different than when my son is 10 or when he's 15. Like, I understand that my feelings might change, you know, the way I feel now might change, but I hope that they don't because, because I think that if I want him to be someone who's emotionally intelligent and who can properly communicate and who has active listening skills and who can validate other people's feelings and who has empathy, all these skills that we want our kids to have, I have to be willing to give him space to learn that in my environment, in the environment, the safe environment that we are trying to create for him. So I think 
that is a tradition I want to carry on, but I want to take it that extra step further and like give him autonomy to share how he feels and give him space to know that like, I'm not going to be mad at you for feeling something. I may not like it because what I think parents don't want to admit is that it makes us feel all of these feelings when our kids are dissatisfied with us. Mm -hmm. And like, that's normal. It's normal for you to feel all of these uncomfortable feelings that, and, and it doesn't mean your kid is wrong because you feel that way, you know, like let's, let's create an environment where kids are not made to feel wrong for how they feel because you are essentially going to create an adult who does not know to how to honor their own feelings, exactly. whether somebody validates it or not. And so for me, that is what I want to create. I want to create a, a self-sufficient, emotionally intelligent man, first of all, you know what I mean? In this society, I want him to be able to express those things, but I have to be willing to create space for him to do that, even if it makes me uncomfortable. And yeah. I'm sure it will make me uncomfortable because don't get me wrong. That little three-year-old now will tell you, don't talk to me like that. He would tell you, don't talk to me like that. Don't say that, you know? And, and it's funny, but it makes me proud though that he does not feel like mommy's going to be mad at me if I say this. Now, I don't know if that's what he's thinking, mm -hmm. but like in my mind, I want to believe that I'm creating an environment where he does not feel or that we're creating an environment because he doesn't say that with my husband too. Like he don't care. But I, I want to believe that I'm that we're creating an environment where he does not have to question how he expresses his feelings to us, that he doesn't feel that my love is going to be withheld from him because he said something that was his truth. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That was true for him. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. So if, if that's something that I want to, I want to, as far as the tradition goes, it would be open and honest communication. What about you? I love that. I think mine is kind of built around that, but also my mom did a good job with loving us and, and showing us this unconditional love, um, more so when she wasn't actively in her addiction. Um, and so that's definitely something I have tried to make known to these kiddos in my household. Um, but also um, letting them know the boundaries and, and healthy boundaries within that. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, one of the things I, I do is they can be open and honest and I let them know regardless of what, like one of the biggest things I tell them is I want you to try new things. I want you to experience new things. Um, but always know that you have a place here with us. Like you, there's never a time you cannot come home. And I think that, that's so important. And I always tell them like, there's nothing that you could tell us that makes us not love you. Um, so there is that sense of like honesty. And I also tell them like, we're going to unpack it. Like we're going to talk about it. We're going to process it. And you know, you may not like how I react or you may not like what I say. And sometimes I'm not always going to get it right. You know, me and my husband have definitely told them that. And we try to practice that if we don't handle something the way that we wanted to the first time, we try to take a moment and come back and ex like, you know, apologize and kind of have dialogue around that. And that's something that we're definitely trying to implement. Um, 
Because the other thing is I want them to know that we're not perfect. Um, yeah. And that we're going to yeah. make mistakes and that we're learning. You know, there is, there's tons of parenting books out there, but until you actually have a kiddo and you are, you know, having them grow and be their own person and develop, you know, their own personality and all of the different things that that brings. Um, some of the stuff you just can't prepare yourself for. Like you can't you not prepare yourself for, and it's a learning, there's a no learning curve. Um, mm-hmm. And so like, that's something that we're definitely honest about. Um, and also one of the things I have been very honest and forthcoming about me and my husband is like our own experiences and talking to them about things. And I, like I said, I try to safeguard them from some of the experiences that I've had, especially like my trauma, um, but also letting them know like there's their own path that they have to walk. And although I would love to rescue them from fully experiencing any hardship, that's just not realistic, um, right. but that they can come to me with anything and we will help them figure out how to come through it. It will not be easy. I'm not sugarcoating anything for them. It's a process and it's hard work. But if you're willing to do the work, I'm willing to get in the arena with you and do it with you as well. Um, And I feel like that is a very important lesson that I am, me and my husband are teaching these kiddos. And it's a lesson that I learned with my mom. Like my mom had very unlimited love. Um, and again, like I said, didn't have healthy boundaries, which which are mm-hmm. important. Um, right. And it's something that I'm teaching them that limitless love, but also loving yourself first, pouring mm-hmm. your cup first, putting on your mask first, your oxygen mask first, making sure that you're feeding yourself first before you feed others. Um, right. It's definitely something that we are trying to teach them of you can have this unlimited love and there's nothing that they can do that we will not love them. There's nothing that they can do where they can't come back home because I'm a firm believer just because you turn 18 does not mean that you are an adult and you don't need our assistance anymore. Yeah, it's Um, like so far from it. So far from it. (laughs) Um, But there's expectations, right? There's expectations in any relationship. Um, and it is my job to make you clear of those expectations. It's your job to make me clear of the expectations you have for this relationship. And if we Mm -hmm. really want to both be invested in this relationship, we're going to have dialogue around those expectations. And when they're not being met, have dialogue around that as well. Um, And so that is something that I'm very clear about. If you set the expectations for a relationship and you have to do the work and you have to be willing to put in the work, um, because that's that's what it means to have a good relationship. Um, yeah. And so that's definitely something that we are trying to practice and instill in, in these kiddos of you set the expectation in relationships. There's limit, you know, our love is unlimited. Um, our interactions are unlimited, but you have expectations as I have expectations Um you should have expectations for me, right? On how mm-hmm. I choose to interact with you and how we have dialogue and things like that. And, and like you said, the important idea of like, you can come to me with anything. Now you can't just come to me crazy. Like that's right. not happen. But, you know, if you come to me in a proper way, 
Um, we could talk about anything. You didn't like the way an interaction went. Come talk to me. Like, let's talk about it. Let's let's unpack it. You know, my my one nephew loves to remind me of things that I said. You know, well, <laughs> Titi, you said, remember you said this, and I'm like, that's not what I meant when I said that. <laughs> but you know, you know, he, he loves to remind me of things, and you know, he always. Gets us over with something. Well, you said right. but I think it's important for your kids to feel like you're imperfect and they can come to mm-hmm. you about anything that they have questions about or they feel uneasy. You know, when we had this interaction, I didn't like the how it made me feel. Let's talk about it. Like, you know, because you can come to someone and talk to them about something and not come to them in a disrespectful manner. Mm-hmm. Um, and that definitely helps you to be receiving. And that's something I want them to practice, you know, when I'm not around, you know, when they have an interaction with a teacher that they didn't like, you know, how do you combat that? How do you go about, you know, addressing that when you have a interaction with a colleague, right? We've all had those experiences or a supervisor and it, and it wasn't a great interaction. How do you then combat that? If you haven't learned or practiced that, then when those situations arise out in the real world, you are not going to honor yourself because you've never had that situation where you've honored yourself. So mm-hmm. that's something I'm trying to instill in practice is just giving them the space to to learn and be imperfect, but also to see me in an imperfect life because I'm the, I'm your parent. You know, me and my husband are raising you, but we ain't always going to get it right. <laughs> we nope. are not always going to get it right. Um, there's going to be times where we have to go back to the drawing board a couple of times, yeah. you know? Um, but as long as we are having this dialogue and this interaction, we'll make it better. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I might not get it right the first time, but if you give me the opportunity, you let me know that it was a miss, I then can make it better, right? But yeah. if you don't, if I don't give you that space to let me know how my things are landing, I can't have the opportunity to make it better. So um, that's something that I am trying to build off of what my mom taught me of having that unlimited love, but putting healthy boundaries in place and and making sure that I feel heard and I feel valued. But the person on the other end also feels heard and valued is very important. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, all with right. all that said, I think this was a good discussion. I want mm-hmm. to end this with, you know, for these next two weeks, how are you choosing to soar? So, I think last week, one of the or the last episode, um, I shared I wanted to soar by getting back into reading. So, I did not get that book, but I did start reading another book um, that I've. Again, we talked about how I have books on books that I keep purchasing and that I don't read, but I know I will get to them. So one of the books that I decided to open up, I I got a few years ago um, and I thought it would be um, a really good book to start. So it's called um, How We Get Free. Um, And it is a book about the Kambahi River Collective. And it it was a a group of women or three women who were trying to find a way to understand um, they were uh, black women and some of them were um, 
who identified as lesbian and some didn't, um, but they were trying to kind of figure out how do we create um, uh, a space for ourselves that has a um, analysis around not just being um, black, but also being women. And so they created this, um, the Kambahi River Collective. And I think Kambahi, uh, was connected to, or Kambahi River was connected to the river that Harriet Tubman, I think, used or was on when she was, um, you know, going back to free slaves, mm-hmm. um, or the enslaved rather. And so, um, they created an analysis that was not necessarily about race or about gender, but about both. Um, and, during like the seventies, there was just differences around feminism at that time. And a lot of, uh, a lot of, and specifically around class, I think they have incorporated class into their analysis. Anyway, it kind of, they're interviewing them because it, it, I think when I purchased the book a few years ago, it was around like the 40th anniversary of the Kambahi River Collective. So I just thought that would be a good place to start. Um, it's, it's been nice just like reading the interview that, that has been done between these three women. And they're actually also interviewing, uh, a woman, um, who was a part of, um, Black Lives Matter. Um, they're interviewing her because again, very similarly, some of the analysis in Black Lives Matter definitely is expansive, more expansive than, you know, some of the other, um, liberation movements um of our lifetime so i started there i do still want to get the other two books and i am going to get them but i figured let me start with a book that i already have so i don't got to spend no money um but once i do get i do still want to get to those two books and actually i want to get to i've been on this like Brene brown kick lately so i have a few books of hers that i want to i want to open up i have like braving the wilderness that i've been wanting to read i got for as a christmas gift last year um and there's a few other books of hers that i have that i i want to i want to get i want to open up and and start as well so there's just never enough time you know i always want to read but there's really like not enough time so i do want to stick with that the other way i want to soar is just you know, when I'm going into these meetings, um, you know, like I have this meeting on Monday, um, just, you know, just trying to just center myself and, and to remind myself, like when I'm going into these uncomfortable situations or these situations that, um, have triggered me or just, um, annoyed me, upset me, you know, caused me to be frustrated that I'm, I'm just, you know, trying to tap into like, okay, what do you need to do to really address your emotion dysregulation and like try to kind of center myself around that? Um, because I, in the next month or so, I am going to be going through some additional changes and I know that it's going to cause or potentially could cause some, you know, moments where I'm dysregulated. And I just want to be better at, you know, recognizing that and then, you know, finding ways to address it in a way that, um, that feels good to me. You know, I am, uh, I'm reactive mostly with like myself. So like if I get triggered, like I'll be in my office, like flipping out, you know what I mean? (laughs) And then when it's time to go into that meeting, I'm obviously put together and I'm not doing that, but I want to get better at like, like stopping the, the flip out in my office, Mm -hmm. you know, like just taking a minute and just recentering myself and not, because that's a lot of energy, you know, it's a lot of energy, you know, even if it's not towards somebody else, 
it's still a lot of energy. So I just, I want to, you know, be better at just channeling that energy in a way that is, you know, more meaningful and it's not meaningful to do that. So for me, it's not meaningful. So that's what I want to, I want to just be better at working on. Um, and then, you know, summer is coming to a close. So I, <laughs> it no. came so fast and it's gone so fast. I just want to, over the next few weeks, just enjoy, you know, being outdoors, spending time with family, just, you know, finding ways to just connect, you know, while the weather is still nice, because I know that it's, it's going to, it's going to change rather quickly. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I'm <laughs> what about glad you? you? You got, you know, to a book, right? Even yes. if it wasn't the one you identified, you still work towards your goals. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds like the book that you, you know, opened up, was really good and insightful. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and like you said, you do have these books that you want to get, but you have books within your possession that you do still want to get to as well. So I think like you're actively making steps towards that goal of just picking up and, and restarting reading. So I think that that's, that's definitely good. And, you know, I, I like that you are being reflective of, you know, continued personal work that you want to do. Cause I think that that's a part of the journey, right? Is that we're never done learning. We're never done uh, adjusting and growing. And so, you know, we always want to be reflective and and see what other parts of ourselves that we could hone in on and do some more work. So I I love that those are places that you are actively identifying things, but also taking steps to actually um, make action towards addressing those things. Um, I'm going to kind of piggyback off of what you said of doing personal work. I I think, you know, although I said a high was to that I was reflective of all of the personal growth that I have done and been able to actually see. Um, But one of the the areas of work that I need to do is um, I want to, and we'll talk about this during our next episode of of our relationships with our siblings is I want to figure out my dynamics a little bit more with my siblings, um, which is a more complex relationship. Um, There's been a lot of things that has happened. Um, Not that I am not forgiving, but I just have to figure out what forgiveness looks like for me. And I haven't begun to expand on that because I think I am in the grieving um, phase of a lot of things. You know, I still am grieving the loss of my mother and then my uncle, my dog Dash, and then also my grandfather now. And unfortunately, with that grief, comes other relationships, you know, with my siblings. And so I think I have been so honed on going through the grieving of these losses that I haven't really focused a lot of attention on what those grieving losses, how they've impacted other relationships and where I go from there, what I want to, you know, how I might want to move forward. Is there, what does that look like? Um, And so I I definitely think that that's one of the places I want to begin to start to unpack. And I know that 
healing and trauma work is not a overnight process. Like I know that it's messy. I know that it's hard, but I think it's something that I'm thinking that I might want to pay a little bit more attention to um, and just figure out where that goes from there. Uh, I don't know what it looks like. I don't know. if I'm. Thank you for tuning in and allowing us to be vulnerable together as we soar. If you enjoyed this episode and are interested in hearing more from us, make sure you hit that follow button so you are alerted when a new episode drops and leave a rating and a review below. Our podcast can be found on all major podcast platforms as well as YouTube. We'd love to hear your comments and how you're choosing to soar these next couple of weeks. Interact with us on Instagram at But What If I Soar as well as on our business pages at Free To Be Counseling Services and at Social MacGyver. Let's continue ascending or gliding even amongst the turbulence.